there because these people needed somebody to support them. They were going through something that this was their grandkids, the first significant loss that they'd ever felt, and they were a very close family. So I just want to say God is good, and he's good all the time. So today we're going to be in part two of uh, Christmas Playlist, uh, and we're going to be talking about Zachariah's song and why we need God. So, a little backstory, because we're going to jump into his song. Zechariah was a priest, and he was in the temple, and, and he, he, his, this is my paraphrase, by the way, just so you know. Uh, so you probably won't find it told like this in your Bible. But he's in, he's in, he's in there, and, and suddenly an angel appears to him, and, and tells him he's, he, his wife's going to be pregnant, and he goes... How is this to be, basically? How is this going to happen? I'm old. I'm old. And my wife, this is a good, he didn't say my wife's old. Take some notes from this. My wife's advanced in years. He even, like, hey, I'm old. My wife's advanced in years. This isn't going to happen. And uh, because Zachariah, Basically, really didn't believe the angel. The angel said, you're not going to talk until this baby's born. And that's where we're going to pick up today because he's holding his baby. And uh, all the women are probably talking around saying, hey, we should call him this. We should call him this. And then, and then suddenly he opens his mouth and says, his name's John. Okay? So that's where we're going to pick up. But have you noticed... How songs get stuck in your head. How song lyrics just get stuck in your head. And they just have a way of embedding themselves in there. So I was thinking about Christmas songs from, I'm an 80s child, so I grew up in the 80s. So I was thinking of Christmas songs that I could think the first line and I would know what the Christmas song was. And like, it's Christmas time, there's no need to be afraid. Does anybody know what that song is? No. No. If you Google search that line, you would know what it is. But it was, there was, a, there was a, a big famine in Ethiopia, and they had a concert, and it was called Band-Aid. And the, the song was, do, do They Know It's Christmas? So, um, the mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight. Do you know that song? Paul McCartney, Wonderful Christmas Time. And everybody's going to know this, even if you didn't grow up in the 80s and you grew up any time ever. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Okay. And then, this one, probably not many people would get anyway, because this, I don't even know if this made it to, it made it to America. <laughs> okay. But I had an album when I first met Shelly, and I don't, I don't even know where it is now. But this song was on, and I love this song, and it was called, When the Snowman Brings the Snow. This is not what it's called. That's the first line. When the Snowman Brings the Snow. I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day by Wizard. (laughs) But, But, you know, some of them, we might have guessed, some of them we didn't, but you've got songs in your head that if, if you 
four of songs, the first line, you would be able to say uh, what that song was. Uh, and when it comes to first lines, the opening words of Zachariah's song deserve to be in anyone's memorable lists of songs. Even though Mary's song is the first song recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Mary's was not the first miraculous pregnancy to be described in Luke's Gospel. See, the record belongs to her relative, Elizabeth. See, like I said, they couldn't have children. They'd been childless, so they, they were not having children. Unless something, a miracle happened in their life. But before the angel Gabriel visited Mary, he visited Zechariah to announce that his wife would fall pregnant. And their son, John, would grow up to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, John happens to to be the warm-up act for the main event. You know, it's like when you go to a concert, you go to see your favorite band perform. And there's always a a warm-up act. And John is that warm-up act for Jesus. He's the one who's going to say that the Messiah is coming. And you see, that's what Zachariah's song is all about. See, it's a song whose first line contains two words that lie at the heart of this Christmas message. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. See, the two words, visited and redeemed. God put on flesh for you and me. He became a man. He didn't have to. He chose to. You don't hear about any other God that came down to fix a problem that we have caused. But, but God himself puts on flesh and he comes and visits us to redeem us. He goes on and his, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the Tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That is why Jesus came. See, God moved into our neighborhood. God chose 
to live in our neighborhood. See, God could have lived anywhere. God could have, you see, here's the thing is, God came to a poor young girl and was born in a stable, not a palace. He chose that. Jesus was a homeless man. He wasn't wasn't a rich king. He was a humble king. Nobody would have looked at him and go, he was a king in his day. I mean, he says, I have nowhere to lay my head. I mean, he was on the run. I mean, he he lives in Bethlehem probably a couple of years, by the way. But then he's got to go on the run because Herod's trying to, poof, kill him. All babies, two and younger. Wipe them off the planet that were born in Bethlehem. So they run. And he's on the move. You see, he knows all that we feel. He's been through everything that you experience. This is the Savior. He came to live in this world. He lost people. He was not liked by people. People tried to kill him. He visited us. He was real. He lived a life. He felt all the pain and loneliness you feel. You have to remember that. That this is, this is a nice time of year that we think of cuddly baby Jesus. But we've got to remember why he came. And what sort of life he lived. See, if we want to understand the first Christmas, if we want to grasp the purpose of God's visit, we need to understand redemption. See, that's why God came. To redeem his people. That's why he's moving into the neighborhood. If we want to understand that this first Christmas, that's what we have to wrap our head around. Redemption and what it's all about. Redemption, you see, is an act of providing the payment to set someone free. To set someone free. See, I think there's a lot of Christians that, that this is why Jesus came, to set you free. Why do we act like we're not free? There's lots of Christians that walk around and act like they're, they're not free. You see, Zechariah in this text is explaining God's work in the, his present situation by referencing God's work in the past. 1,500 years before this song, in the time of the Exodus, God's people Israel were stuck in Egypt. They were enslaved by Pharaoh. Do you know why they were stuck in Egypt? Because God allowed them to be stuck in Egypt. He sent them originally to Egypt. This was all part of God's plan. See, despite... Pharaoh's resistance, when Moses tried to go to him and say, you need to let God's people go, God freed them 
But he used a series of plagues sent against the people of Egypt. But the last plague was the worst. See, the last plague was death. You see, the oldest son, Moses went and said, the oldest son of every household would die if you do not set us free. See, God warned Egypt. He warned the Pharaoh. But he told his people there's a way out. But it's through the death of a lamb. The lamb died. The people who trusted God lived. And Pharaoh, devastated by what his decision to resist God had done to his nation and his family... He ended up letting them go. See, God had redeemed his people. See, and this is great, an exciting historical story. This is fantastic that God had done all of that for his people. But what does it have to do with Zechariah and what does it have to do with us today? That's what we should ask. Everything. Because Zechariah says God is redeeming people all over again. He's not from enslavement to an Egyptian king, but from enslavement to their own sin. See, to our sin. We should be free. If we put our trust in Christ, we should be free. See, Zechariah is not referring to being freed from a Material plight, but a moral plight. See, that's where our struggles are. See, sin is an unpopular word today. There's, there's, there's people that I used to respect as Christians 20 years ago that I would not listen to today because they won't use this word. And they preach things like Christmas sermons that say, We're the reason for the season. A very popular, popular pastor that I'm not going to say his name preached a message saying that we're the reason for the season. No, we're not. Yes, we benefited from the season. We benefited from the fact that Jesus came. But that's not where this pastor went. There was actually no message of the gospel in his message. But it's an impopular word to say that I'm a sinner and sin exists. It's unpopular to say that. You see, and it is a word which explains both what we see within us and what we see around us. Why do you think there's war going in on in? In Israel, why do you think people are dying of cancer? Why do you think all of that, these things happen? Because sin has entered a world that was supposed to be perfect, and it's not. That's why all of that comes around. You see, sin essentially is putting me 
where God deserves to be. It's putting me, when I say me, I mean you could say you, okay? It's putting whoever you are where God should be. It's saying, I will be happy if, so we do what that if is. No matter what it is. You see, it's, it's, it's in place of the authority of and majesty of God, we are running our own lives. And I'm charting my own course. It is saying to God, whether very politely or extremely angrily, I don't want you. I won't obey your commands. I will not listen to your word. I'm going to call the shots. That's what sin is. I mean, literally. The word sin means to miss the mark. In Romans 3, verse 23, says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have missed the mark. By the way, that all is you and me, too. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it wouldn't matter. You've missed the mark. And you're still missing the mark. See, everyone misses the mark. When it comes to glorifying or recognizing or pleasing, loving and following the God who made us, who sustains us and who gives us everything we have, we miss the mark. See, we can miss the target by an inch or a mile. It doesn't matter. It's like when I was growing up, my, my nan, best attentions, would say, would say, that's only a little lie, not a big lie. Well, a lie's a lie, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a little lie. If it's not the truth, it's a lie. I, I now, as an adult, go, what classified that? You know, how many people it hurt? Because that's what ultimately our sin does, by the way. It hurts people. It hurts ourselves and it hurts other people. See, most of the time, I think, we don't much care whether we miss or not miss the mark. Miss or hit it. We are not even aiming at living in a way that pleases God. But rather one that pleases ourselves. But even when we do care and we do try to obey God, we still miss that mark. Even on our best days, we will miss the mark because you and I are sinners. See, sin is something we choose and yet sin is something that traps us. See, we can't stop even if we want to. It's in our nature. It's like a bad habit that proves impossible to break. We're enslaved to what we choose. 
And sin caused us to be separated from God. See, sin is not just a bad habit. In fact, sin is our greatest problem. There's a lot of people today that will say that our greatest problem is a lack of education. Or a lack of social welfare or social justice. Or a lack of self-esteem. But if that's the case, if that's really the case, why, when so many family gatherings get together at Christmas... So often occasions of discord or conflict happen. We end up in in disagreements. Depending on how functional your family is, because everybody lives in a dysfunctional family, by the way, just so you know, is how you handle them conflicts. But there's a... Sometimes holidays are scary. Because you get 10, 15, 20 people in the same room. In the same room. Or 30 if you're Kathy and Russ. Right? There's a lot of different opinions there, isn't there? There's a lot of different opinions. You can have arguments that go out of control over custard. I can assure you that is a thing. I can assure you that that is a thing, but we're not going to talk about it, okay? But that is a thing because, because sin is the problem. I'm right, you're wrong, so let's fight about it. See, we, have, we can't fix this problem. We can't fix that problem. And that's why it's, it, we can't sort it out. It's not a fundamental lack of education or welfare or self-esteem that spoils things. It's sin. Because it didn't, doesn't matter if you're right. If you're arguing about it, you're arguing about it flat out. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Doesn't matter. No, we could cause a lot less arguments, especially in our relationships, if we just say it's okay to be wrong ourselves. If if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Let's not fight about it. Let's let's it's done. Instead of fighting like you've got to be right. And I struggle with that. That is my big thing. Because I think I'm always right. And I'm not. I'm not. But I think, I think, I'm just being honest here. I think there's a lot of people in this room that think they're always right and will fight to prove that they're right. And that destroys a relationship. So it's not worth it. If it's destroying your relationship, what does it matter? What does it matter? See, that's what separated us from God. See, It causes conflict with others, not only wars on a world stage, but closer. Sin causes conflict in our homes. 
It causes conflict in our own hearts. Our houses, our marriages, our relationships with, with other people. That is what sin does. It destroys. And every time we let it destroy, every time we let it in, we're saying, come and partner up with me, Lucifer. Come on. Come join the party. Every time. See, we tell, we, we, we tell ourselves lies. We feel envy. And then anger shows up. See, each time we miss the mark, we spoil our own lives and the lives of those around us. See, but this spoilness is not the most serious aspect of sin. Because my sin has crippled my ability to know God and to know God fully. And to live with and for God. See, I can't know God. I can't make my way back to God because I'm trapped in my sin. Enslaved by my sin. It was like when I was angry because my, my mum died. That caused me to sin because it caused me to pull back from God. It caused me to take up my own old ways and be an angry person. And start destroying relationships around me. Until I came back to God and realized that he saved me. And he doesn't owe me anything. And started to trust him again. But when we stay in our sin. And you get stuck in sin. You are being separated from God. Both in the present and in the future. See we are cosmically stuck. Hopelessly and separated from him. The singer Sting once wrote. These words in a song. Everyone I know is lonely, and God's so far away, and my heart belongs to no one. So now, sometimes I pray, please take the space between us and fill it up some way. See, we often hear people say that death is the great equalizer. I mean, here's the thing, blows my mind. Blows my mind. My brother-in-law does not believe in God. But he thinks his brother's in somewhere better when he died. How can you not believe in God, but believe that your brother is in a better place? I mean, he doesn't believe, it's not like he doesn't believe in this God. He doesn't believe in a God. If you think like that, his brother by now, because it's been a few years, he's just bones. Because they don't put you in a concrete thing in, America, in England. They just put you in a, in a wooden box and you get in the ground. And then by the time a few years pass, that wooden box ain't a wooden box no more. And your flesh is all gone because worms and, and the bugs have had it all. And it's corroded. And all that's left is some bones. That's where his brother is. He can dig down and he'll find his brother. 
Because here's the thing. Death is not the great equalizer. If you don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't equalize nothing. The only way it equalizes, if you've got a rich man in a, in a morgue and a poor man in the poor, they look the same. On a metal plate, on a metal table, they look the same. They've got nothing. But if the poor man believes in Jesus, he's got everything because that's just a shell of his existence. See, the Bible has a very different view. One that Paul put this way in Acts. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, he is going to judge this world. This world will be judged. Not everybody goes to heaven. There's people that you're going to live in your life, that you're going to be friends with, that never accept Jesus into their heart. That I'm telling you right now, whatever hell is, that's where they're going. They will be separated from God when they die. If they have not put their faith in Christ Jesus. One day we will all be judged. That's why it's so important that we live our lives out loud. That we are a light in this world. So we can be a witness to the people so we can have people meet Jesus and heaven can be fuller because you existed. And in that final judgment, it will be absolutely fair and it will be completely final. See, there will be no redos. There's not reincarnation here. Hey, we were back. You see, reincarnation blows my mind, right? And I'll tell you why. Anybody who believes in reincarnation blows my mind. Because there's no redos. But if there were, if I was a real crappy person, right, and I was a serial killer, okay, I'm just saying, I I killed lots of people, and then I was reborn after I died, after after they electrocuted me, uh, I came back to life, and I was this sweet baby, and I was amazingly good, and lived a perfect life, which is impossible, by the way. But say I did. That only pays for the life I'm living now. To be perfect, I would have to be perfect. How am I paying for my past sins? And I don't believe anybody can be perfect. So if you believe, if, 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 if you believe in reincarnation, you would just be keep coming back and back and back and back and back for eternity. That's the only way it would work because you could never pay your past debt. Because by the way, I don't know anybody that can live a perfect life except Jesus. So you'd always have to come back to live a better life. 
because you'd never get on that scale and balance out. There is no redos. See, we have separated ourselves from God's love because we have all sinned. See, and because of this sin, we will be separated from God for all eternity, suffering the punishment of eternity in, in the place Jesus called hell, a place that's separated from God and everything that is good. See, this view of eternity, one that includes judgment, is the one that best fits our sense of justice. I mean, that fits our sense of justice. The way we want people to be just, the way we want people to be punished in this world, this fits the way we think. See, we're asking, whenever we hear on the news about some terrible human act, what do you think? Why doesn't God do something about that? Where's God's justice in that? You know, another thing that blows my mind, non-Christians will say, where was God then? Why didn't he punish them? Or we say, they deserve X, Y, or Z because of what they've done. So we want guilty people to pay for their crime, don't we? I mean, be honest. If somebody raped your grandchild, would you want them to pay? Do you know how hard it would be for me not to search that vengeance on for myself? But you know what my wife tells me? You can't do that. If that was to happen, because we've had these made-up stories, you're a Christian. It's God's place to judge, not mine. Not mine, not yours. But we want justice like that. But when God, when we talk about sin and we say, hey, if you don't accept Christ into your world, you are going to be judged for the way you lived. People go, that's not fair. If God's so loving, why wouldn't he accept me just the way I am? That's, that's usually the first argument for, for a not very educated person to come back at you with, by the way, to, 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 to try and argue God, hell, and sin, and everything. They'll say, well, you say God's a loving God. Why would he let anybody go to hell? And I'll tell you this, God's so loving, he lets people go to hell. Because if I don't want to be in God's presence here and now, I definitely don't want to be for eternity. That would be extreme punishment for me. If I didn't want to be in his presence now, why would I want to be with eternity? Have you ever been somewhere where you know that you've got to see a person that you do not like to be around? But you've got to go there anyway. That can be that can be pure hell, by the way. So why would you want to be in with somebody like that for eternity? See, God is so loving, He lets people go to hell. You see, the Bible says this all sin 
will be judged and all sin will be punished by separation. See, that is very good news. When we suffer at the hands of sinful people, but it's also deeply troubling news because we ourselves are sinful people. See, sin is our greatest problem because it separates us from God, whom we were made to know and designed to enjoy forever. See, but in another sense, the truth about sin is also our greatest insight because it explains life as we experience it. See, there's a mighty, loving God who made us. And so we are capable of acts of greatness and kindness. But we reject the God, that God's authority and we are capable of selfishness and evil. We are made to enjoy life with God eternally, but we choose to live in defiance of him. I mean, I've heard Christians say, live life well, I've only got one life to live. That's pretty stupid. I get to live for eternity. I mean, I think they're weak Christians or very, their theology is messed up and they need to be under somebody's teaching where they can learn that that's not how the work, that the world works. See, we live in defiance of him. Hence the flatness, the blues that come after Christmas. As once again, we get to beyond the busyness and distraction of festivities. See, I told you, this can be a good time for a lot of people. And sometimes it's a good time even though they're missing people because they're so busy they don't have time to miss the people that they've lost. But then Christmas ends. And January comes, and the weather stinks, and you know, we get down, and we don't have an answer. See, that's not a gift, the gift, the gift I can buy, that's not a gift I could buy or a gift I can receive that seems, there's not a gift that I could buy or even get. That would satisfy me. See, here's the thing is, and you've watched kids over the years open presents. And I think that's the problem with, with, with Christmas is because we buy so many gifts, right? Especially for our kids and our grandkids. And I'm guilty, by the way. And I will watch them just burn through their, their presents and open and open. I don't even know if they play with some of the things I buy. That's how bad it is, right? You know? But we, we think we have to buy all this stuff because our grandkids are going to be happier if they have all this stuff. But really, they'd be happier if they knew Jesus. And we let them know why we... Now, I tell my grandkids why I give the gifts. We have to show them and tell them but it's not going to make them happier. I mean, my little, my little Ryan's daughter, Thea, can go to Goodwill. 
and find something for a dollar and be, and she plays with everything we buy, don't she, hon? And she will play with that for hours. And it would be, be broken when we bought it. We've actually bought a board game that was broken. We didn't know it when we bought it. And she still played with it. It was missing 90% of the pieces. And they'd put it in a box and made it look like it was a full set. And, and it was more than a dollar. And, and, uh, but, but, <laughs> but you see, there's a problem. You see, there's no vacation. Have you ever gone on vacation, okay, and, and, and come home and got down right away? I mean, like, it, it's like this air's just been sucked right out of you. See, we can't go on vacation forever. Be, be, wouldn't be, by the way, and by the way, everybody goes, wow, that would be great if I could go on vacation forever. It would probably suck after a few vacations. It would really probably suck because it would be the same old, same old. And you'd be searching for some house to fill the spot that God's supposed to fill. See, that's why when we go places and we come back and we, 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 we've let that, let that fill us up, uh, up with so much happiness that when we come back, we're so down and depressed because we're not there anymore. And we... How many first-time places have you been to that you said, oh, I could go live here. It's so brilliant. I would love to live here. How many places have you been to? By the way, if you, if you completely keep going back to that place over years, you'll say, whew, I'm so glad I didn't move there. You will. The first time my wife went to England, she wanted to move there. She is so glad that we never moved there. So there you go. I'm telling you. We try and fill ourselves. See, there's no vacation that's going to that's gonna think. There's no box that's going to fill you. There's not a piece of music that you can listen to that will fill that hole inside of you. When we feel this, we are really saying, God, please take the space between us and fill it up some way. When we have that empty space, that is what, what we're crying out for and we don't sometimes know it. We, want, we need God to fill the God-shaped hole. The void that's inside us is God-shaped. See, we are asking God to redeem us from the sin we have chose and from the slavery we cannot escape and the debt that we cannot pay. You see, somebody's got to pay that debt. See, we all owe God. Not one person is perfect. We have all sinned. There's not one person in this room that would want their life put on that screen, let alone the last week. Maybe not even the last 12 hours. See, we have all sinned and we have a debt to pay. See, the mighty God who is really there does not just wink at sin and say, Oh, it's okay. I'll let that slide. He doesn't let any of it slide. See, he cares about how our sin spoils the world that he created and spoils the lives of those he made. See, he cares about how we reject his authority and seek to sit in his place. Every time you sin, you throw God off of the throne and you put yourself in the position of God. See, it makes him justifiable angry 
By the way, God was angry in the Old Testament and Jesus was angry in the New Testament. Anybody who says that Jesus wasn't an angry God is full of it. Read Revelations. He's coming back with his eyes on fire because of the sin in this world. If that doesn't sound like... Can you imagine? By the way, when... He whipped all that stuff off in the temple. He sat there and made a whip. He didn't grab somebody's whip. He made a whip. Because he was so angry at what was going on in the temple. Jesus was an angry God too. He hated sin too. He doesn't just let his people off. See, he is a God who loves justice and he brings justice. And so there is punishment to be faced. There is a price to be paid. You see, the problem that that confronts us is that we are unable to to rectify the situation. We must pay this price, but we can't. So unless someone comes from outside who does not share our predicament and who can pay the price to free us from the consequences of our actions, when it comes to our sin, that someone can only be God himself. See, we need God to come and we need God to help. That is why Zechariah sings this song. And so that brings us back to what Zechariah said. Because he is singing about the truth that God has done just that. He has shown up to do something that you can't do. And he has shown up to redeem us, to pay the price and bear the cost of freeing us and restoring us so that we can know him and live with him again forever. So the definition of sin... So at the heart of the understanding of the first Christmas and why it is such good news is an understanding of the nature of our predicament. And that involves accepting the nature of our sinfulness, our sinfulness and our seriousness of sin in our lives. You see, in other words, it involves letting God, not contemporary society, define what is right and wrong, what is sin. See, there was a survey done recently that said only 17% of American population refer to God in any way when asked to define sin. 83% see sin as merely something negative that's had an impact on their lives that they need to get cleaned up. See, we will never understand what God was doing that first Christmas. He did not come merely to help us put the bits and pieces of our lives back together in a way that gives us wholeness and stability. He did not come to provide a little religious energizer bunny that would make us nicer people. See, he did not even come just to to make our lives happy. Because, by the way, that's a fallacy. God doesn't care if you're happy or not. Just so you know. 
Anybody who says, God just wants me to be happy is, again, doesn't know what they're talking about. God wants you to be full of joy. He doesn't care if you're happy or not. He doesn't care about happiness. He cares about joy and finding joy in him. He came because you were drowning. You were pulled down by the weight of your sin and miles from the shore. You had no hope. You see, if you're drowning, it doesn't help you for someone to come along in a boat and say this. Come on now, just thrash a little more. You'll be okay. Try a little harder. Swim a bit better. You should have turned better in them swim classes. You see, you'll be able to get yourself out of this mess. No, what you need, what you need is someone to reach down their hand, grasp yours and pull you up safely and take you to the shore and breathe new life into you. That's what you need. And that's why Jesus came. And that is what Zachariah is doing here in this song. He knows that his son John will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation, of rescue through the forgiveness of their sins. He knows that John will spend his life saying, hold on, God is coming. And God will rescue you. And so Zechariah sings, just as everyone who grasps what God was doing that first Christmas. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God was moved into the neighborhood to free people from their sin and fill up their space between himself and sinful people. Sinful people like you and me. But how did he move in? Well, that's, that's next week's topic. And how did he fill up that space? You've got to come to Christmas Eve to hear about that. But this week, I want you to read Luke 2, 8 through 14 to get ready for this third Sunday of our Advent Sermon Series, Christmas Playlist, The Angel's Song, How Did God Come? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're an amazing God who uh, didn't just wipe us out after we sinned. When Adam and Eve took that bite of that first apple and sin entered the world and broke it, you had a plan. You had a plan for our redemption. And that plan was to send your son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, to live a life that we could not live, but to die a death that we all deserved. For this, we can put our trust in you. And we can find our happiness, our joyfulness in only you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.